After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and he took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. As we've told this story, we have walked a path of hearing about man's fall away from God's intended purpose in their life, one of whole relationship, relationship with him, with ourselves, with all others in place, that God designed us and created us to be with him, with each other, in the place that he puts us, so that we could fully know him and know ourselves, and know those that we encounter. And we have seen the story of God's redemptive pursuit and calling forth in covenant to Abraham and to David, and how he speaks through the prophet Nathan, saying, they will be my people, and I will be their God. Yet how will that take place? What will happen to make it come back to what God had fully intended? And we come to the cross. Now, some of you might be offended by the cross. And that's okay. It should be offensive. It is offensive to think about the cross in the reality of what it is. You see, what the Roman officials are doing here with the cross is really pointing out to all those around them that they are in power. What the cross does is it says, we're the ones who have the right and the means to keep you under our thumb. That we're the ones 
that you should be looking up to, that we're the ones that you should be respecting, that we're the ones in power. What the cross would do is it would take anyone who was not a Roman citizen, and it would break them. It would set them up as an example. So say, for instance, there was a rebel, one that was going against the Roman officials, one that was saying, we should fight against them. We should overthrow this power. Let me be your leader. Well, what would the cross do? Well, one, it would kill them and get rid of them. <laughs> That's pretty obvious. But the other thing that it would do is it would take this person who wanted to be lifted up as a leader, and it would mock them by saying, we'll make you lifted up. Oh, you'll be high and lifted up. And we put them on a cross and lift them up for all to see. Thus saying, see how high and lifted up this person is? See how mighty they are? And we mock them. Saying again, what? We're the ones in power. We're the ones who are in control. We're the ones that have you under our feet. The other thing that it would do is it would set an example and say, who else wants to go after this? Who else wants to question our authority? Who else wants to come and try and take over what we have established in our good and right way. Because people would see those folks up on the cross, suffering, dying. And they would be offended and they would turn away and they would think to themselves, I might not like the Romans, but I'll never go against them for fear of ending up just like those people. Now the interesting thing for the Jewish folks here is they saw it as well. And they look at it as a curse. We're reminded in Scripture that those who hang on a tree are cursed. And so the Jewish men and women who are calling out for Jesus to be put on his cross recognize that what they're saying, their example to the world, even outside of what the Romans are saying, is look, this man who you think is the Messiah, no, no, no. So when we think about the cross, it's a hard thing. When we think about the cross, maybe we picture, I don't know, do we consider Mel Gibson still in Australia? <laughs> Just checking, I don't know. <coughs> but we think of the passion of the cross and his movie and how bloody and gory and some would even say maybe over the top it was. But it tells him. It causes us to go, yes, the cross. Good Friday, we have hot cross buns. That's good. Because those aren't They're tasty. Sort of. They should be frosting, by the way. I don't get that. Make it a little sweeter. We, we take our gold crosses that are beautiful things, but they're nice and lovely and beautiful. We decorate our because we don't, we don't want to say it's hard. And so we picture the cross, and we want to downplay it. We want to soften its edges. But what does God do in the cross? What is God doing in that text? 
You see, the Romans were saying, look, we're powerful, and we're mighty, and we're the ones who have control. And this will end any rebellion. And what God is saying is, the rebellion started, and I'm putting an end to it on the cross. That you might think that you're using this instrument of torture, this ultimate execution, as a way to stop the revolution. But I am telling you, as the one who has created the world, I will take your cross, and I will change it. I will take your instrument of death, and I will make it an instrument of life. That says you think that this puts everyone in bondage and keeps them there, but the cross, in fact, is the very image of freedom for us. That it is not just about the wrath of God that comes upon who? Jesus? No, listen coming upon Jesus. It's coming upon the very sin and idolatry and the powers of the world that hold us captive and out of relationship with him. The wrath comes down. But it's more than that. It is love. You see, the cross, this instrument of terror, is a beautiful picture of love. God's love for us. His ever-pursuing, ever-expanding, growing love for us. It is where Jesus is the fullest manifestation of that love. To say, I will take everything that separates you from God. I will take all the things that keep you from being in relationship with Him. And I will take them upon myself. And in doing so, I will put them to death. They no longer exist. They are no more in control. This very thing that the Romans said, this will keep all these people in bondage to us out of fear, God says, it is the very thing that brings freedom. Paul puts it this way. He who knew no sin became Sin, so that we could become God's righteousness. That it is at the cross that we are able to move into Jesus. That we are held in Him completely. And not just the cross, the resurrection, but we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. The world looks at the cross and they say, how could a loving God put his son up there to punish him for things that he never did. We say that too. Let's not just put it on them. In our own hearts and in our own minds, we think to ourselves, how is that right? How is that good? Well, it's because we think it's about punishment. And it was for the Romans, but we don't think as the Romans. God gives us his perspective that says this is not about punishment. This is not about laying you low. This is about me coming for you and grabbing hold of you in all my love. And that is the picture of the cross that we hold. There's an old preacher's illustration. 
Now, it might not be an old preacher's illustration. It just might be that my dad has gotten older and he's used this illustration. So it's my dad, who's an old preacher, and his illustration. It tells the story of an Easter parade where they were building floats to go down the street to celebrate Easter. And people were putting together things. And the old pastor came out to say, How's this going? And he looked over at, at the one that was representing the cross. And what he was noticing is that for some reason, those who were designing this float that would depict the cross were making it magnificently beautiful. That they were grabbing all of the best flowers to make it beautiful. That they were grabbing all of the best colors to make it vibrant and alive. And he came to them and said, guys, you're going to have to scrap this. You're going to have to start all over. The cross is hard and it was wood and it had blood streaking down it. And there was dead bodies on it. And you've got to make this look terrible. What, what are you doing? And they're in the midst of all of those people who were building this float to immortalize the, the cross and were making it so beautiful. There was just a little boy. And the little boy looked at the pastor and innocently enough said, well, if Jesus was on it, then it would make it beautiful. The cross is beautiful to us because Christ was on it. So today, and your Good Friday, as you go about the rest of your day, those of us who've heard the story of the cross over and over again, let it be renewed in your hearts and minds that Jesus made it beautiful because he exemplifies God's love for us. And if you're here and you've heard this story once, or you've heard it multiple times and you think it's false or it can't be true, Hear this, God's love is ever pursuing for you. This is not about your punishment. It is about his loving embrace. That's what we celebrate today on Good Friday. That is why it is good. Let me pray. Father God, hear our words today. Let them bring glory and honor to you. If they are your words, let them bear good fruit in our hearts. But if they are not, let them burn away. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.